We are picking up today on a sermon series Pastor Mike started last fall, a series on the parables of Jesus. Our time this morning will be spent reintroducing and laying the foundation for these messages, and specifically we'll be answering the questions, what is a parable, why did Jesus teach in parables, and how should we interpret and understand Jesus' parables? Some of you benefit from a fill-in-the-blank, and if you dig through that voluminous bulletin that you have this morning, you keep looking, you will find a page where you would be able to fill in the blanks and follow along if that's helpful for you to do that. What is a parable? The word that we translate parable is actually a combination of two Greek words, para and balo. Para is the prefix and it means beside. It means beside, and we recognize that in terms like paralegal, where, where one works beside an attorney in cases of law, or parachurch, where a Christian ministry or organization works in concert with the church, is not the church per se, but works alongside, comes alongside the church to achieve certain ministry ends. Para means beside, and balo means to throw or to cast. To throw or to cast. You put those two together and you've got this Greek word parabole, which means the placing or the casting of one thing by the side of another. You could sum that up in one word, juxtaposition. The placing or the casting of one thing by the side of another. Now in a parable, very often the items, the ideas, the lessons that are placed side by side include something that is known and something that is unknown or less commonly understood. Thus, a parable is a story told to illuminate something unknown, the use of something known. Illuminate something unknown by the use of something known. A more technical definition would be this, a parable is an illustrative story by which a familiar idea is cast beside an unfamiliar idea in such a way that the comparison helps people to better understand and grasp the unfamiliar idea. Maybe that's a little too technical, so let's talk quickly about how that works. Several of Jesus' parables begin with, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. All the people in his audience would have no clue about the kingdom. Some of them have never even thought about it. Others would have distorted ideas about it. Jesus' own disciples thought that he was going to usher in a physical kingdom. And they were going to take over the world. No one fully grasped what the rule and the reign of God on earth or the rule and the reign of God in their own personal lives is going to look like. They didn't understand the kingdom, but they would be familiar with the items and the actions that Jesus compares the kingdom to. Living in an agrarian society, most would know how a farmer sows seeds. Most were aware of how crops were harvested. They could identify a mustard plant. Many of them had spent countless hours chasing silly sheep. They knew what yeast was, and they understood what it did to a lump of dough, and they understood fishing. 
And they got it, that if you just cast a broad net out into that ocean and you pull it in, it's going to bring in both desirable and undesirable fish, and they're going to have to be sorted out eventually. They got all that stuff Jesus used to describe his kingdom, something that they didn't understand. If Jesus were preaching in down east Maine today, he would, he would use images probably like fog. We understand that. Or um, winnowing blueberries. People get that. He would talk probably about lighthouses and potholes and mud seasons. He would, he would use images that we all would grasp, we would understand, to explain. So by telling parables, Jesus is teaching about something that most people just didn't get by calling to their minds the things that they did. That's what a parable is. That's what a parable does. It is an illustrative figure of speech made for comparison's sake. And since we are interested here in this series in the parables of Jesus, we must add for the purpose of teaching a spiritual truth. Making a comparison for the purpose of teaching a spiritual truth. John MacArthur defines a parable as an ingeniously simple word picture illuminating a profound spiritual lesson. And that idea has been simplified by some even further, probably a preferable definition for many, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, the Bible contains about 40 parables of Jesus. A little more, a little less. Nobody can agree exactly on that, but about 40. And they are found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Most people agree, not all, but most. That there are no parables in the Gospel of John. So around 40 parables will be found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why did Jesus teach in parables? An obvious answer to that question is because teaching in parables was a common way of imparting wisdom in that day. It's the thing that the teachers and the rabbis did. So Jesus is just sort of following suit. He's not creating something altogether brand new. That, I think, is sort of a given. He's teaching in a way that he can be heard. Anybody who's a teacher knows how important it is to teach in a way that you can Heard, otherwise it's a fruitless endeavor. But there are really two important reasons that we must know about why Jesus taught in parables. And the first is this. Jesus spoke in parables to make the truth he was sharing more accessible. He wanted, he wanted what he was saying to be more accessible, more relatable. When Mike introduced this series, uh, he said parables are to the teachings of Jesus as handles are on a pot. They give us a way to pick it up. And Jesus then uses parables so his listeners could pick up what he's laying down. He used illustrations about common things to bring his teaching, his incredible wisdom, down to the street level. Spoken parables because stories and images can impart truth in ways that straight up propositional statements might not. An example of how that works is found in Scripture, not in the ministry of Jesus here, but in the Old Testament, an Old Testament story involving King David. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you wish, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
2 Samuel chapter 12. If I might set the stage for this so you can catch up real quick. Like so many people on the path of ruining his life, David didn't know what he was doing. He was a king, and he was obsessed with getting what he wanted. And in this case, what he wanted was the wife of another man. He was so obsessed with getting the wife of another man to be his own that he abandoned what he knew was good, and he abandoned what he knew was right. And he summoned this woman that he had spied on while she was bathing. He summoned this woman to himself and slept with her. And then, after that, he tried to get her husband to come home from the battlefield. Most likely expecting that if he were to come home from the battlefield, he also would sleep with his wife. And then, if she somehow ended up being pregnant by David, it wouldn't actually be that obvious. So a little bit of a cover-up going on here. But little did David expect this man was so noble that he, he did not go into being that he wouldn't do that. When that didn't work, he sent orders for this man who was a faithful soldier in his army. He sent orders that he be moved to the front of the battle line and that the army then would retreat away from him, leaving him exposed. And he was, of course, killed. So King David, in a relatively short period of time, both conspired and was successful in the endeavor to commit adultery and murder. All this he orchestrated without apparent remorse and with very little insight into what he was doing or what he had done until his friend, who saw it plainly, came to him and told him a story. That we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now they came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come up to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. It was a use of a parable that caused David to see his sin. Himself being a shepherd early in life, the story pulled him in. He could relate to that little ewe lamb. He could relate to the effect between the shepherd, sheep, and the family. And instinctively, when he heard that, he felt what was right, and he knew what was wrong, and he got the lesson because of the way it was presented, because of the way it was told to him. Emily Dickinson has penned a poem that speaks to the need and the power of creative communication like parables. 
He wrote, Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, a truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. What if Nathan had gone to King David, bursted into his quarters with a bullet-by-bullet list of David's wrongs? What do you suppose would have been the outcome of a factual listing of King David's transgressions? Well, we would never know, but I'm going to guess that it would not have been good for Nathan. I don't think that King David would have appreciated that at all. So he was wise to speak to in a parable because stories and images have a way of disarming critics and skirting the defenses of listeners. They can make truth more readily applicable, more readily understandable. Stories and images can penetrate where propositional statements do not. Stories and images are memorable. 19th century Anglican Bishop Richard Trench wrote, had our Lord spoken naked spiritual truth, how many of his words, partly from his hearers' lack of interest in them, partly from their lack of insight, would have passed away from their hearts and memories and left no trace behind, but being imparted to them in this form, under some lively image, in some short and perhaps seemingly paradoxical sentence, or in some brief but interesting narrative, they aroused attention, excited inquiry. And even if the truth did not help at the moment, by the help of the illustration used, finds an entrance into the mind, and yet the words must thus often have fixed themselves in their memories and remained by them. Remember the story. You don't always remember the words. You remember the story, not always the propositional Statements. And if you doubt that, think about a sheep that wanders. Think about a sheep placed on the shoulders of the shepherd who went to find it that's bringing, brought, being brought back to the fold. Think, as you know, about a young Jewish boy who had just about everything and insisted on taking his inheritance in the moment and ran away from his home and squandered it all and found himself in a pigsty eating food from the pig's trough. Think about those things. They're in your mind. You've read them. They're stuck there. They're not going anywhere. That's the power of the parable. So Jesus taught in these parables, on the one hand, to make truth more accessible, and somewhat ironically, given this reason, Jesus taught in parables at times to make the truth he was sharing inaccessible. Matthew chapter 13, we read this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them, and Mark's translation of this, Mark says, to those who are outside, it has not been given. For to the one who has, 
That is the one who's interested in listening to the word, the one who has a sensibility to the word, the one who is receiving what Jesus is saying to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The answer Jesus gives for his use of parables is that the ones who are supposed to hear, the ones who are interested in hearing about the kingdom of heaven, will hear his truth and they will receive it. That's who he's talking about. Verse 9 of chapter 13, he says, He who has ears, let him hear. The one who wants to hear. Some listening to him were interested, actually interested in what he had to say. And they were willing to receive it, but others were not. So Jesus' parables are words of life to those who are being saved and those who will be saved. At the same time, they are words of judgment to those who have no interest or hope of being saved. For those who are being saved, the parables are intended to instruct and they enlighten. Those who are not, the parable is delivered in order to conceal, in order to obscure even the spiritual truth of Jesus' command. Same method, same technique, accomplishes two opposite purposes dependent on the heart condition of the one who is hearing. Pastor and John Author John MacArthur summarizes Jesus' use of parables this way. He writes, in short, Jesus' parables had a clear twofold purpose. They hid the truth from self-righteous or self-satisfied people who fancied themselves too sophisticated to learn from him, while the same parables revealed truth to eager souls with childlike faith, those who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Lastly, how should we interpret and understand Jesus' parables? Generally speaking, parables will have one main teaching point. So, one main teaching point. For that reason, we have a simple job when reading and interpreting a parable. Find that point. Look for that point. Sometimes that's going to be easy. Sometimes the point of the parable is explicit in the parable. A couple of occasions, the parable is actually explained. We, like, we love those because we know we can get those right. At other times, we're going to have to use the context of the passage to inform us. You have heard it here so many times that you understand context is king when you're trying to understand the scripture. But I would encourage you as you're reading the parables to make sure you read quite a bit before and quite a bit after the parable that you read so you understand the specific context into which this parable has been injected by God and why it is recorded through, through the Holy Spirit in this particular gospel in this particular place. Context is going to help you understand a parable. Don't assume just because it's used one way over in this gospel that it's used exactly the same way in another, for instance. So, find the main point, and generally they have one main point. That is not to say that some parables aren't complex. There are several parables, in fact, that are complex. You think about the parable of the soils. There are many characters and many images at play in the parable of the soils. Or the parable of the prodigal son, where you've got a father and a son who runs away, and a son who stays home, who thinks he's a good son, who also ends up being apostate. There are a lot of levels in some of these. There's a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Lots of points of applicability in some, but generally speaking, one main point. 
So the trick when you're trying to understand parables is to do what my college professor told me, keep the main thing the main thing. Intriguing to chase down these different details and see if they have some meaning, but not every detail is going to have significance. So keep that in mind. Not every detail has significance. Most of them have one point. Now finally, and prayerfully, and since we have in front of us the benefit of something that none of the disciples of Jesus had when he spoke, we have the record of his teaching. Can you imagine being in that audience and hearing a parable that kind of blows your mind and makes you wonder, what was that? What was that? And it's gone. Sometimes when I study the parables, I think you'll find this if you don't already, if you start to dig into them with us. I have to read that thing, read it again, and read it again, set it down, and pray, and read it again. We have the record, though. That's the good thing. We have the record. We can look at it. When it was delivered, why it was delivered, how it was delivered, how it stacks up against other teachings, other themes, a theme of the gospel. We have so much. So we have the New Testament. We have the Old Testament. Beyond that, though, we have the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we actually can understand what Jesus is getting at. And you know what that means? It means that believers today are in a better position to understand Jesus' teaching than the people who actually first heard them. We're more equipped today to understand Jesus than the people who heard him first. Now, these parables that we're going to study, they're not crusty old stories. They're not just ancient old fables. They're not little anecdotal things that Jesus threw out to be amusing or to keep people's attention. He didn't need to do that. These are timeless truths. This is truth that transcends time. And so if we study these parables right, if we preach them right, if we look at them right, we will be looking at these parables and we will say from time to time, hey, that is me. That's me. That's a story about me, my heart condition, what's going on right now, right here. You see, because the parables are sometimes mirrors. They help us to see ourselves. And God has graciously given them to us so that we can gain insight into ourselves. But more than this, though, parables are also windows. They are windows into the very nature of God. The Bible is a revelation of God to man so that man might understand God, so that man might know God. And these parables are windows into the nature of God. And so as you open your Bibles and you begin to study these parables, there are a couple of things you might want to pray before you begin. It's fairly regularly, honestly, in the way that I approach the Bible every morning that I do it. I pray, Lord, as I open these pages, help me hear your voice. Help me understand these words that you have blessed us with, that I might know you better. God, help me see you right here. That's the first thing. And after that, it's like, and Lord, if there's something in here about me, give me the grace to see that too. I want to know you, and I need to know me, as you say I am. That's the same with the parables, mirrors and windows. They'll help you see you, and they'll help you to see God. You have in your bulletin this morning a new sermon series card. So you're able to read ahead, uh, and you'll know what we will be focusing on in the coming weeks. In this series, it will take us through, Lord willing, to the end of May. We hope this is the first one and only sermon card we have to publish, but the weather has been so weird that we've held off on publishing it until now. 
We hope it doesn't get so bad that we have to issue another one. But if we do, that's just paper for now. That's the order that we're going in. So please do take some time. I encourage you to read ahead and begin to study the parables and get a sense of what they mean. I hope and I pray that you're going to be challenged and built up by this study of the parables of our Lord. Don't be intimidated by them. While I have your attention, I want to, uh, I want to go through your bulletin a little bit. If you might grab your bulletin. There's a lot in here. 